All right, Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and longtime title sponsor of the Nolcast. So, Bud, we'll jump into it tonight. Got some listener questions, recruiting observations, things we can talk about. Uh, also, and hopefully the end product was good enough as to what got out to the listener, but if you want to sacrifice a microphone or do whatever it is to the podcast gods that we don't dare tangle with whatever happened to uh, last week's show, I will uh, be forever grateful. It was uh, one of the more challenging audio files that uh, collectively as a team we've had to work with, and hopefully we'll have a little bit better luck this week. I think we were two for two with uh, with with using our alternate computer. So uh, I, I got my machine back tonight. Should be a good show. Um, let's just jump right into this thing. Kenyatta Watson is uh, now hired as the director of player relations, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, You're the a, Georgia guy. A very solid ad. I mean, you know, I, 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 there's a part of me that wishes this was five years ago uh, with some of the kids that he was particularly close with, but I think it's a, I think it's a nice, nice addition and it uh, you know, it will help you in, in Atlanta and some parts of Georgia. Uh, you, you know, you're never going to, you're never going to clean uh, clean Georgia's clock right now in state, but uh, you know there are an awful lot of kids. Uh, Watson will help you build and identify relationships there, and you know Florida State when it's really ticking is signing anywhere from three to eight kids out of Georgia, and uh, maybe half of those are from the Metro Atlanta area. So I like it a lot, man. I mean, it's uh, if nothing else, I think it's a great show of intent. Uh, you know, you, you looked at Watson, you looked at Bartow, you looked at other, a couple other people uh, for the original hire. You hired Bartow and you swung back enough or liked Watson enough to swing back and get him. And, and you had enough support uh, from a financial standpoint uh, as far as the tools that they're trying to, you know, the, the proverbial arrows that they're trying to put in Norvell's quiver. Uh, I think it's a, a really good hire and a, a good overall kind of barometer to as far as a commitment level of, of giving him some of the supportive resources to be as successful as possible. I, I think you described it well. Um, here's what Norvell had to say about this. So uh, Kenyatta brings a unique perspective as a former student athlete and the parent of a current collegiate athlete. Uh, his ability to understand the needs and concerns of our student athletes is going to be a tremendous asset for our team. He has spent years investing in creating opportunities for young people and his experience as a player, father, and staff member will help guide parents of prospects through the process. Kenyatta has valuable relationships in Atlanta and is well-connected throughout Georgia, which is an important area of focus for our program. So the last line there, they kind of don't even really uh, uh, really beat around the bush. Um, now, officially, he's going to serve as FSU's pro scout liaison, which basically means talking to pro scouts. Uh, you know, Inger, I'm not really sure for the 2022 draft, but that is a full-time position. So it is good that, that they have other ideas for things he could do. <laughs> we're gonna we're oh. gonna address your attention elsewhere uh, than your job title. So, yeah, no, I mean it's a it's a nice little hire. Atlanta's an interesting area. It's a massive, you know, transient city. It's basically been a boom town for fifty five years, and you know you've got a lot of people like mine. My, my mom's from Palm Beach County. My dad's from Virginia. My best friend's dad's from Tallahassee. His mom's from New York. You know, you've, you've got a lot of people that have moved here. If you don't want me to talk about my close circle of friends, it sounds like Travis Hunter is an example of that. Somebody's mom that's from the Palm Beach area and uh, Palm Beach County and moved to Atlanta. So big transient city. Uh, you know, Georgia's always going to be a player, but maybe not 
um, you know, the team that everybody's parents grew up cheering for and stuff like that. So it's a unique uh, opportunity to go try to recruit this uh, metro area that I find myself in. And, you know, like I said, you're never going to sign seven of the top 10 kids or anything like that. But if you can, you know, be a consistent thorn in uh, Georgia and other SEC schools in Atlanta, it'll certainly go a long way and, uh, you know, bring this program back to where where the broader fan base hopes it, hopes it will return. I, I agree with you there. Uh, we have a correction uh, for last week's show, by the way. Uh, a couple people emailed us about this. Um, we had discussed the probability of winning uh, all four – uh, of, of the toss-up type games, right? Uh, which we correctly noted was about 6% if you figure that they're, you know, all 50-50 shots uh, or the probability of winning uh, at least one of the, or excuse me, of, of winning at least one of, of the uh, the five games we identified as uh, as not being, you know, toss-ups, right? So that was Clemson, UF, UNC, Miami, and the Irish. Uh, but I made a mistake, so... Uh, I was doing the math in my head live on the show uh, because I did not review. Was it Dean's question? I think maybe from last show. I forgot whose question it was, but I, I didn't read the question before the show started. So I didn't have time to run any math. So I was just doing it in my head and uh, still no excuse. I, I should have caught that. Uh, the chance given the probabilities that we listed individually on the show uh, that FSU wins at least one of those, you know, of, of those games uh, is greater than the chance that they sweep uh, in either direction. The, uh, the, the toss up type game so i do want to point that out we were wrong so there is a better chance of an upset uh just by our own possibility by our own probabilities we just added it up wrong uh then uh then the chance of a sweep which is honestly pretty good news for Knowles fans i would say do you remember that question yeah oh, certainly yeah okay. no I, I do i you know find it interesting that of which uh kind of sticks in your crawl and, and you find in retrospect but uh no i mean it's a it was a good conversation, good question, and uh, glad we were able to circle back and correct ourselves, maybe in even an optimistic manner. So speaking of optimism, bud, uh, you know, we've, we've talked for a couple of weeks now about some internal concern uh, or at least some skepticism as to what the defensive line or defensive ends will look like immediate and, and maybe some of the pieces that are currently in that roster. Uh, so Patrick Payton put out a, a um, picture. Payton is the true freshman defensive end from uh, Miami Northwestern. Uh, I think his Knowles 247 bio has him listed at 205. And did the picture that he tweeted out had him at, what, 229, 232, something like that? I thought it was 235. Hold 235, even better. This, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if that's a true weight, then that's a good sign. That's a, that's a sign that a kid may be able to take some situational snaps for you. I will say – you know, I wouldn't get too overly caught up on what a kid weighs right now. Now is kind of the time in the calendar that if you're able to, uh, you know, carry some fake good weight, uh, you know, some water weight uh, that sometimes kids getting can, up on the creatine, maybe can balloon. Yeah. You know, creatine, keep a, keep a couple extra ounces in those muscles of water weight. Uh, I'd be real interested in seeing kids weight, uh, you know, 10 days into camp or a week into camp, even uh, it's just, it's, hey, look, it's what you want to see. You want to see kids lifting, lifting hard, putting on weight. Uh, but, you know, everybody's body responds differently, and you get a much more truer kind of feel as to where guys are seven days into camp or so. So here's the thing. I, I, we see all the time kids sending in videos to us on the recruiting staff of, of what their weights is or what their weights are, excuse me. And typically uh, we want to see 
like the kid show his body and then pan down to the scale because otherwise you could be holding a weight in your hand. And this has happened. The same thing as if you talk to, to guys who do heights and weights at schools, uh, one trick they have is that they take and they roll up the, uh, the liner in their shoe and they stuff it under their heel inside of their sock because they know that the schools will make you take your shoes off to get on, to get on the scale into your height and weight, but they will not make you take your socks off. And so if you're slick about it, you can get yourself about an extra, what, quarter to a half inch, potentially depending on, on how aggressive you want to roll that shoe liner up and, and, and put it underneath your sock. I'm serious here. This is the thing that that buddy of mine at an SEC school caught, caught some kids doing. Um, that said, I tend to buy this, I think, that Peyton is probably 235. What I don't, what I have to square, though, in my mind, in, or, in order to believe this, and I think it's tremendous that he's 235. By like he's a guy we loved at 24-7 sports compared to the industry. I think we had him as like the number 154 player in the country, and the rest of the industry had him outside the top 400. So Peyton is clearly a player that we at 24-7 sports are betting on uh, because we, we really believe in him. We identified him as somebody who has the frame to put on weight and to become a good football player. And this seems like a tremendous step in the right direction. I will note, though, that he was never on campus, so it's not like they had a wait for him uh, from any kind of official visit. Um, he was not an early enrollee, right? So he just got on campus this summer. Now, he's listed at 210 on the website. If he was 210 in the last week in May, I can guarantee you he's not 235. So my guess here is that he was probably not actually 210 when he enrolled and that he was probably a decent bit bigger having been working out at home, ready to come in. And I say that simply because you do not gain 25 pounds in six weeks unless you have a tumor, right? So, I mean, I'm just, you know, uh, that's just kind of common sense. Uh, but I, I tend to believe that he is putting on a pretty good amount of weight. Um, I don't think he's faking this video, uh, but I, I'll be interested to see what their official roster looks like uh, as, as will you when it comes out. But that, that's a great sign, man. Like even if he's not a guy that plays a lot this year, that they're going to have a real need in 2022 for guys to step in. And if, if one of him or George Wilson could be that guy to step up in year two, that's a really big deal for them. Yeah. Very big, very big. Love to see where, where Wilson's weight uh, ends up as well. He's, he's the, he was under 200 when he showed a 189 up, right? or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, give him six months or so. Uh, I'd, I'd love to know what he looks like. Maybe, maybe when he returns for Christmas, that'd be a, a good idea as to how he's responding and how his body's responding to a, a college weight program. Um, all right. So the next question, or the, we'll get into some listener questions here. Excuse me. Uh, Terry leads us off on a recent show. You stated that Florida state could really get seven offensive line committed at once. How, what will happen if this does occur and does Booker play into this? All right, so uh, Terry clearly follows recruiting quite a bit and is a listener of the Nolcast. I like when people ask questions that we've already you know, talked about the Nolcast some because it allows us to kind of get a feel for what the audience picked up and sometimes what, what they didn't. Um, so, yes, I did say that. I do think it's a real possibility, guys, that FSU, I'm telling you, man, they could have seven offensive linemen committed at one point. That does not mean that they're going to sign seven offensive linemen. Hell, in a crazy scenario, I could see them actually getting to eight verbally committed. And I think at this point, they're just going to say, hey, we'll find out who really wants to come compete. 
we'll find out who really cares about playing time and uh and we'll we'll see you know maybe who is a little bit scared off due to playing time um they're not gonna you know stop recruiting these guys they've got some dudes scheduled to commit later this month that i, I feel you know pretty good honestly about fsu being able to get you got richardson you got early i mean that that feels that feels pretty solid for the Knowles. richardson's coming up on, on the 26th uh when, when is when is Ely going? Uh, excuse me, August second. So uh, early is going August second. That's still basically the, the end of the month, if you will. So you got those two, and then you still have Elijah Pritchett, Easton Harris, and Julian Armella, right? And you're already at what five right now? Now, Aluba is has he already visited Georgia? I think already once, and you know we'll see how many times. He gets back there. Um, I know he likes Alex Atkins a lot. They've done a good job on him. They're not going to stop recruiting guys, man. Like they, they want to make sure they lock down his offensive line class. And if that many guys want to commit, eventually some dudes will go ahead and kind of drop out or, you know, change positions or whatever. And this is kind of an okay thing in my opinion, because you want to figure out who doesn't want to compete before they get on campus, because you don't want to waste a scholarship just to find out they don't want to compete after they get on campus when they hit the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean that'll it'll give you a little bit of clarity. You can have some, <clears throat> like you said, you can have some competition before you ever step foot on campus. Uh, the Harris kid is is a really interesting name. Maybe, maybe in a, a perfect world, if you had a chance to, if, I think if the coaching staff had a, dra- a chance to draft any of these kids, he might be the first one they take. Uh, really kind of intriguing offensive tackle there out of uh, Auburn, Alabama. Um. And let me see how. Yeah, I, I think say they this, like him. Quite I don't a bit, want to. Actually, uh, and I think they like Pritchett a lot. Like yeah. they really like those two kids, and they like yeah. Richardson a whole lot. They do. They do. I've been following recruiting. I started following recruiting when I was like eleven or twelve years old. I've sent you some of the some of the stuff that I first ordered. That was you know some of the the stuff that you'd literally buy and they'd send to you once or twice a month. Um, Julian Armella, like there's a service that has him as the fourth ranked highest player in the country that may be the worst evaluation I've ever seen. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to get you into a war awards with uh, with other recruiting services, but that is an epically bad ranking for an individual. Uh, he's certainly going to have some options out there, uh, but that's, you know, just not uh, ranking and reality don't pair at all uh, in any way in that in uh, that ranking is the top offense tackle in the country or the fourth overall prospect. I don't, I don't think he's on uh, many, perhaps I know some, perhaps many of the schools that, uh, that is listed there on their kind of realistic board. So it'd be interesting to see what it plays out. A lot of options at tackle. And like you said, it may be a, a place where Florida state carries uh, more commitments than it ultimately will end up. And, and uh, yeah, bah, uh, maybe in a cynical world, you'd want Bob to wait a little bit longer before he started to reshape his body, <laughs> not not draw the attention of uh, of the gentleman out there in Athens, and uh, that'll be a sounds like that'll be a little bit of a fight on your hands. Um, so the other t- part of this question I thought was interesting was asking about Booker. Uh, so Tyler Booker, the offensive tackle, five star player out of IMG Academy, a lot of people thought he was going to go to Florida, and then Alabama kind of jumped in. I, I don't want to say I don't want to say jumped into to imply that Bama wasn't there, you know, because they, they were. Uh, but I think for a while, Bama kind of recruits at their own pace. 
And then when they decide they kind of just want to pick up the, turn up the heat a little bit, things can change very quickly, you know? Uh, so Bama gets him. This is actually pretty good news for FSU in a couple of ways. Number one, FSU was not, it was not a legitimate contender to land Tyler Booker. So it's not like a loss for the Knowles. Number two, uh, well, he didn't go to Florida. So that's obviously good for FSU because you don't have to play against it except when you play against Alabama in, in an opener. Uh, number three, or in the playoff. Number three, you know, Bama just signed the best offensive line class in the history of recruiting, literally. I mean, did, did you see who they signed last year, offensive linemen? It was absurd. So Alabama signed number one offensive tackle, J.C. Latham. Number two offensive tackle, Tommy Brockermeyer. Scanning down here a little more. Trust me, this is not just me praising Bama. Number two guard, Terrence Ferguson. Uh, scrolling more. Number 13, interior offensive lineman, James Brockermeyer. Number 14, or excuse me, number 19, interior lineman, Jaden Roberts. That's sick. People don't do that, right? You don't, you don't land the top two offensive tackles in the country, and now they have Tyler Booker going there. I'm not saying that Elijah Pritchett won't go to Alabama. I'm certainly not saying that he's scared of competition or, or anything like that. But if you're reasonably trying to map out a path to playing time, I'm sure that'll be part of the pitch, right? Hey, FSU really needs offensive tackles. I know Alex Atkins is going to sell him on playing offensive tackle. Uh, that's where he probably fits the best. Anyway, um, yeah. you see some kid named Mims signed with Georgia last year as well. So correct. Um, yeah. Who they early word from them is that they think every high school <laughs> accolade was appropriate on that kid. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hyperbole already associated with what Mims might be. Uh, out in Athens, so good for I mean, them. Tennessee Excitement. staff loved them too. Yeah, hopefully that's uh, hopefully that's nothing but a good thing for Florida State. So, uh, speaking of good things, did you see who was the customer of the week for for the uh, the legendary team? Uh, I did not see that. No, dude, I want customer of the week. D- did you? Excuse me, not not customer of the week. I, I need to go, I need to go and get this right. Uh, my I, I was I was the I was the customer spotlight. Yeah, man. So I've done two loans with Shannon, 844-FSU loans, 844-FSU loan. He called me. I knew he wanted to chat about some Noel stuff, so we, we chatted up for about an hour. And he's like, hey, I forgot to ask you the reason I wanted to call you. Uh, can you be our, our customer spotlight? And I was like, yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, great mortgage experience, great refi experience. Give him a call, getting more and more people coming in all the time. Now, I'm, I'm excited to hit 200 at some point. Like that. that's... We'll have still to, absurd to me. Yeah, right? I mean, we'll, we'll have to plan. The, the numbers are are honestly fictional. I mean, you just you don't have this good of a, a response, and uh, it's great that they've done as well, and it's great that we've been a part of it. And we'll have to we'll have to do something to to create a milestone and and uh, appreciate it because that is a partnership the likes of which you don't find frequently. So also, uh, Shannon told me that he's very close to getting approved in Tennessee. So I'm waiting on the final, final word about that. But I knew we had a couple of people uh, raring to go when he got uh, his license in Georgia. Looks like they're going to be expanding into Tennessee. Uh, so that should come, my guess would be this week. We'll see about that. But uh, if you're in Tennessee, 844 FSU loan, tremendous home buying experience <laughs> or refi. All right. So next question comes from Jarvis. Jarvis says, do you think some recruits will be scared off by the Hunter 
McCall combo. Uh, what a great problem to have if it is the case. I mean, uh, good for Florida State to actually have kids committed that are the level uh, that uh, push some kids away. I mean, but I'll certainly let you uh, give your example or cite your your answer and probably give examples tied to it. But I don't see how you wouldn't. I mean, Travis Hunter is one of the more dynamic prospects that we've seen over the last five years or so. And, and McCall is a, you know, really high four-star prospect at worst. Uh, that's going to probably push a kid or two away. And those are, you know, if those are the problems that Florida State starts to have in recruiting, then you're kind of back to where you want to be. Hopefully that success will replicate itself in more than just the defensive back position. But uh, yeah, that's what happens when you recruit well. No different than the conversation that we just had about 95 seconds ago uh, with Alabama. So when you get great pieces, it makes the, you know, subsequent sales pitch a little bit more challenging. I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to call any kids out. I, I don't have a specific, well, no, I actually do have an example in my head that I'm pretty sure of, but I'm not hundred percent sure. And thus I'm not going to go ahead and say that that that's who it was, but like there was definitely a prospect recently who I liked a lot, who I think FSU had some traction with. And then I think he just kind of went the other way. Um, look, playing time is something you have to sell if you're not a very good football team right now. FSU is an awesome, great, historic, all-time program, but they're not actually a great team right now. So one of their top things that they're selling is playing time. It's a little bit harder to sell playing time to a third or fourth defensive back group if you have Hunter McCall in the same class. It's just that's kind of the reality of it. So I, I do think you're, you're spot on there. I think it's tough, man. All right, Caleb asks, uh, if you could guarantee FSU two wins this season, which two wins would you choose? Please explain to my ignorant friends why Notre Dame and Miami is the is the correct answer. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Caleb, nice question. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> to me, it's Notre Dame without a doubt. If you wanted to make an argument uh, for Clemson, I, I'd certainly listen to it. I mean, that would be a, a great moment for this program and hopefully maybe start to sow seeds of doubt and in Clemson's mind as to how they could lose to a team like Florida state and what the, the future might look like. But yeah, if you let me choose to, I choose Notre Dame and Miami for recruiting reasons. And, you know, you don't need to just let Miami go stacking continuous win on continuous win against you uh, for too long. So Caleb, I agree uh, in your choice, but if you wanted to, you know, give me some conversation about Clemson, I, I might listen to it as well. I, I think I agree with you there. Um, I have a couple thoughts on this. Just just go with me here. This might be crazy. And if I'm being crazy, just say, bud, uh, you're nuts on this. Notre Dame is, is undoubtedly the right answer. FSU has not had a decent start to a season since, what, 2016? 2016. Right. And even then, I mean, they, they got embarrassed by, uh, by Louisville like two weeks later. But you have to get – like, you don't have to. I think it would very much help you if you got off to a good start you know, if you if you beat Notre Dame, it's not crazy to think you could be four and one or or five and zero oh going into UNC, right? I think it's very possible. I totally agree with you that Miami is the right choice. By the way, Caleb, overall, um, I think it's a more important game than Florida simply because you're not recruiting that many guys against UF, and UF is also so close to the early signing period that I don't think it's really going to sway a whole lot of minds. Um, most kids are sewn up by then. 
the only choice out the only other different choice I would make here maybe would be the UNC game because then you could build a whole lot of momentum uh, you know going into that final weekend where you're going to be hosting official visitors or, or one of the final two with, with NC State. I think early momentum is going to be very key for this recruiting class simply because of, of the likelihood that you do uh, I mean final five weeks of the season are not going to be easy man at all like it's you could win one you could win two you could win three you could also win zero out of those five so i could see make an argument for unc if it does happen with clemson i almost think it happens because you know maybe dj would be out or something like that right now also did you see what happened with clemson's uh, quarterback signing uh no i did not so he got drafted uh bubba chandler by the pirates right um, in like the third round, and he's a pretty legitimate baseball prospect. And the Pirates uh, went what's called under slot with their first overall pick in the draft. So they pick somebody who is a good player, obviously, but maybe not demanding insane money coming out of high school. So they can they can basically save a couple million signing the number one overall pick so they can spread it out to more prospects uh, down ballot in their draft, if you will. Uh, and Chandler has been highlighted as one of those guys that the baseball uh, writers out there think is pretty likely to sign and he changed his twitter bio look here uh, make sure it's still up um yeah he changed his twitter bio from whatever it was to ball player for the at pirates <laughs> so it doesn't mean that uh you know that he's he's just uh that's just posturing for no negotiations uh undoubtedly sure so. right he also tweeted uh Spoke with the high school coach of Bubba Chandler about the draft process, the fit with the Pirates, and how he loved his time at Clemson. And Chandler retweeted it and added, of course, made some lifelong friends up there. Hashtag go Tigers. <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, you know. So Fomacon, their backup quarterback, he tore his Achilles in the spring game. And Clemson does not take transfers. And we're already past the deadline for guys to jump in the portal anyway. I, they expect Fomacon to be back in time. Um but, man, I got to tell you, like, he's got to – DJ has got to stay healthy for the first month of Clemson because they literally – I think their backup was Kendrick, the corner, like their, their emergency QB, the fifth, the fifth or sixth guy who's not a walk-on, was probably the corner because he was a QB, or QB in high school, and he transferred to UGA. So I, I guess – yeah, I, I think – I think the questioner who asked this question, uh, Caleb, I think Caleb is right. It probably is FSU and or Miami and, and, and Notre Dame here. But I guess there's some other interesting choices you could make. All right. Ashley asks, uh, are all the guys going to media day transfers? Uh, if so, what does that say about this team? Was this possibly done to keep Travis from transferring? Oh, I didn't uh I didn't see that last part of the question. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I guess technically all the guys are transfers. Travis being a former transfer and Milton and uh, the transfer defensive end there from Georgia that you added uh, are uh, that of which you are taking to – is it in Charlotte or Greenville this uh, or Greensboro this year? But uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, okay. So that of which you're taking to Charlotte. Uh, does it say about the team? I mean – I don't know. It says a lot of things about the team that we've said for two or three years, probably. There's not, uh, 
you know, there's not a whole lot of like kind of ready-made leaders per se. Uh, there's not, not that this is a bad thing per se, but there's not like uh, Helton's probably somebody that was giving consideration as far as, uh, you know, engaging with the media and stuff like that. But that's not necessarily, not that your play dictates hundred percent this choice, but I don't know that you'd necessarily label him a team leader with where his production was last year. So um somebody that's been in the media and taken part in these things and, you know, had some fun mo- uh, memories of, of attacking an open bar with Bud once or twice at him. Uh, media days are nice. I would just be careful about how much, you know, can really be extrapolated from him. I, I would agree. I do think from a media perspective, uh, these are the guys you want to see, right? I mean, I don't want to interview Keyshawn Helton at media day. He might not even be a starter. I do think you get the guy who was the QB last year who's still fighting for the job. You get the guy who everybody kind of assumes will be the QB this year. He's fighting for the job. And you also get your new stud defensive end, I, I who some coaches on this team think is the best player on the team. So from a media standpoint, I absolutely love this. I think FSU was – I did not expect they would do this, right? But it also potentially – shows the message that this is a team largely made up of, I don't want to use the term mercenaries, but certainly not homegrown guys, right? It's it's a whole lot of dudes from elsewhere, largely because you had to do so. Uh, You didn't really have a true recruiting cycle last time. You had to go ahead and and take a lot of transfers. That's kind of what I would read into it. I, I don't think that it was done to keep Jordan Travis from transferring, by the way. Remember, Travis has already used his, uh, his transfer, so I don't think he's actually eligible for the one-time transfer exemption, correct? So he would have to sit if he wanted to leave again. Yeah. Yeah. Good point there. I don't um I don't know, man. I don't want to go running off on too long of a tangent here, but I, I really don't understand how the SEC media days overlaps with ACC media days. I mean, I, I've you know a lot of the broader Southern college football media has to choose between one of the two. Now you can certainly send different people, but you give priority. SEC is always going to take priority. I don't understand why the ACC would schedule their media days to overlap with the SEC. That is quite foolish uh, in my opinion. And uh, it's some of the things that they do with the SEC or the ACC network and programming uh, I don't want to, again, this is not necessarily the time to go running off on some five minute rant about the ACC, but I, they continue to do things, man, that just make me question, uh, not necessarily their commitment to football, but their understanding of marketing, making the most of what they have, magnifying their platform as much as possible. I mean, for a, a network that's seemingly dying for content, I don't understand why this is only two days. And I sure as hell don't understand why those two days happened to overlap directly with the SEC media's day. Yeah. Um, days. I mean, it just kind of, th- th- there is, there is some overlap there. I, I don't totally understand why, why they did it. I know from a media staffing standpoint, the, a lot of the networks will send five to one, six to one to the SEC over the ACC. There are a lot more interesting storylines in the SEC. The ACC is basically Clemson until, it's not. I mean, Clemson is, I think, 1 to 11 
to win the league right now, which means you need to lay eleven hundred bucks to win a hundred on yeah. Clemson. Like Bama is, but you got an intriguing quarterback prospect in Sam Howell, and and I, I understand what you're saying six to one. What I'm more saying is that a lot of times media uh, outlets would like to try to send send to both. Now it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to send as many people, but they'd like to send you know their top two or three guys uh, or or guys or ladies uh to these things and like to send them to both if possible and i just don't i don't get it so um you know label that as a as yet another little bit of a question mark i have for the conference that florida state finds itself in plus uh a lot of uh, a lot of media uh companies right now are still you know um how do i say this they're still based in like major cities and are thus like very COVID conscious and are not allowing people to fly to multiple cities back to backs. So I do kind of wonder if the ACC had made this later, if certain companies would not have allowed people to go to SEC and then ACC or SEC and then big 10, which is also, I think later this week or, or early next week, a lot of them are still in sort of the, if you fly, you come back, you have to quarantine for X number of days mode. Um, Perhaps just speaking from some experience there. Uh, so, who wrote this one? I think this was Kesna. Okay, we're on to Kesna's question here. Uh, or do you, hey, you want to give the shout out to Congruity? Yeah, I was going to go into mention my friends there. It sounds like they have uh, yet another commitment. So, that's fantastic to uh, hear. I've been playing phone tag with Matt Lewis the past couple of days, but it sounds like they picked up a, another Nolcast listener. So, uh, who you are, mysterious listener. I certainly uh, thank you and look forward to finding out more about uh, what your business and exactly how you're partnering with uh, with the good people at Congruity. Uh, we would encourage you to reach out uh, to Matt, as uh, many others have at this point. Uh, like we say frequently, Congruity has been a great addition uh, to the Nolcast and we think would be a similar uh, asset for your business. So, congruityhr.com is the website Knowles n-o-l-e-s at congruityhr.com is the best way to reach matt and we thank them for their uh, uh what is now uh <laughs> getting to be longtime support of the Nolcast. awesome all right so let's go ahead and uh and take Kestin's question here so he writes uh, first off, I genuinely want to thank you for being the best FSU football podcast the others are not even remotely close so I, I mean First of all, I appreciate that. Second of all, I, I do think the on the bench guys do a tremendous job as well. So, um, you know, I, I'm obviously friends with them and I work with them. So I think they do a really good job and there's room for a lot of folks in this market. Um, so Kessner writes, uh, he has two questions, not a surprise. Kessner always, bring, always really brings it. And we missed these, I think, last time. So I'm going to get both of them in. First, can you please explain how recruiting class rankings work? It makes no sense why Penn State with an average score of 90.04 has a higher ranked class than Alabama with an average score of 93.62 or LSU with an average score of 93.63. Why would Penn State's large number of three stars be better than Bama and LSU's much higher ratio of blue chips? Well, Kessna, it's an interesting question. Um, I can email you if you'd like the explanation for how the rankings work. Um, I will say that since you asked this question, uh, Bama has gone up quite a bit. They're, they're now, they're, they're ahead of Penn State. Uh, I believe. No, actually, they're not. Never mind. But uh, so Bama has just you know one less blue chip. Essentially, what we're dealing with right here is 
kind of pay attention to what your kids in the class are rated, but not where the class ranks until everybody gets a kind of similar number of recruits in the class. The algorithm is not really designed to weigh one class. Um, or not, not an algorithm, but the formula is not really designed to weigh one class like Penn State, which has 20 players committed against a class, uh, like in that example, Alabama, which had eight players committed. It's just not apples to apples. It's actually really good at doing an apples to apples comparison. Again, it's it's very mathy to explain on the show, um, but basically that's the answer. It's not really designed to compare um, classes with, with that big of a disparity in terms of number of players in the class. Uh, Keston's second question, he says, imagine a world where you were only allowed to recruit within your own state. Which programs with their current staff would be the dominant programs? Do Bama, OSU, and Clemson still dominate without access to Florida kids? Are, the Notre, Dame and or- are Notre Dame and Oregon more uh, relevant anymore? Does UCF become a more significant program? It feels like teams which have made the playoffs have leaned on talent from Florida, Texas, Georgia, and California uh, more than their home state. All right, well, the state in which you live would have the most dominant program in the country by a mile. I think. It's as far as just exclusivity of keeping if, if, kids. If you were only allowed to recruit kids from your home state. Georgia and LSU are two that come to yep. come to mind immediately. 100%. Uh, because there's no true in-state competition. Georgia Tech beats Kirby Smart for a kid, what, once every two or three years? Typically, yeah, you may be being generous, even. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, they're not they're, competitive in that space. They're long remembered. I mean, there's a reference like when you say that Georgia Tech fans will still be like, well, we beat out Calvin Johnson. Right. Well, yes, you did. <laughs> and that was 16 or 17 years ago. Uh, but you did beat him for Calvin Johnson and credit to you. Hell, hell of a get. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, you're right. Th- those are, you know, Georgia and LSU. Um. Ohio State would still be decent. They wouldn't be nearly as dynamic uh, with some of the skill position players they have. Uh, and then it would be fascinating to see what happened in California. You know how that how those uh, you would you would certainly imagine in time that USC would would be the the dominant force there. But uh, like you said, other schools in play. I, I do think that schools like like a Florida, Florida State, Miami. I think they would do really really well. I mean, there are generally a large number of of blue chip kids in the state of Florida. Now you'd have to find quarterbacks and typically QBs from the state of Florida really suck. And linemen. I mean, Florida doesn't mass produce offensive linemen, especially uh, if you cut out IMG. Yeah. It would be your, your offensive tackle prospects that do come down the, the pipeline would be your fiercest, probably fiercest recruiting battles you had. Um, but, yeah. I think they would do well. Texas would be interesting, right? Because if you look at Texas and Florida, Florida has three major programs. Texas has two, but Texas also has one, two, three, three additional Power Five programs in TCU, Baylor, and Texas Tech. Am I missing any other P5s? I don't think so, right? No, that's got to be it. Yeah. Um, You know, Florida as a state doesn't have any other Power Five programs in in the state. Although UCF, they kind of recruited that like Texas Tech level. They probably would be a little better. I, I do think the Florida schools would do better than they currently do. I do think the Texas schools, 
it would depend on the distribution between A and M and and the Longhorns and the other three schools there. But if they beat them down like they typically do, I think the Texas schools would do pretty well. Not protecting home turf has been a been a real problem. And then if USC could just keep a couple more of those elite California kids home, uh, if they still had Clay Helton, they would still have a problem, but maybe less so. Uh, Oregon would be completely screwed in this scenario. Clemson would be totally screwed in this scenario. Um, Michigan, probably not that great. Wisconsin would really hurt. I'm trying to think of teams that typically do well that don't have much home talent. Uh, Oklahoma. Would not be anywhere near as good. Yeah. Oklahoma, as are. Tennessee would be uh, in bad place. It'd be interesting to suck. see uh, what would oh, happen wait. in Pennsylvania. I mean, you could you could get a decent amount of kids to Penn State, but not uh, you know that state doesn't produce the talent that it did maybe even twenty years ago. It, it, you know, that would be the the fun part of this is to really watch population trends and uh, you know where people move and how that changes things over the decades as to what type of talent you could field in this uh, type of hypothetical situation. Do you know what else uh, would, would probably really, really get hurt? The Irish. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you only get four, to, you only get so maybe. many kids. Yeah. <laughs> you only get, uh, you only get so many fantastic linebackers that come out of the state of Indiana. So yeah, that would be, that would be very tough on them. Definitely. Yeah. I Alabama uh, and, and Auburn is an interesting one. You don't have any legitimate competition in the state uh, other than those two. Bama probably gets, what would you say, 85% of the kids that it wants against Auburn? Like, like for instance, Auburn is more competitive in recruiting against Alabama than Georgia Tech is against Georgia. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, how many four-stars are in the state of Alabama in a given year? Somewhere between – seven and 12, I would say. That's still not that many. Yeah. No. Meanwhile, no, LSU, to your point, would, would be great. Yeah. And it's all these schools have, uh, you know, leaned on these geographic advantages they have, you know, where Al- uh, Auburn recruits tons of kids from Columbus, Troop County, all that Western swath of Georgia uh, that, you know, obviously would no longer be in play. So interesting hypothetical, Kesno. That was, uh, that was fun for us to run through. No doubt. Uh, And let's go ahead and end it tonight on this one from Matt. Uh, He writes, good morning. Uh, A question of maybe or maybe more of a comment for a podcast discussion. Do you think the NIL, which is long overdue, will have a negative impact for the smaller market schools? What what brought this up in my mind is the American top team deal with UM football players. With the South Florida market of over six million, and granted, they're not all UM fans. There's no way that a market like Tallahassee will have the resources or businesses that can compete with Miami or even UCF in Orlando. Basically, now with the NIL, schools in large, larger markets will have a recruiting advantage. Personally, I think they would, but maybe I'm missing something. I'm also thinking about schools like Alabama, which basically dominate the state, compared to Florida, uh, with many top-tier football schools uh, all competing against each other, and pro sports as well. It's a good question from Matt. Um... <laughs> this is an interesting one because – I mean, it is about market size, but it, but at the same time, like the re- the Alabama reference, this one of the you know you don't have a market there per se. Um, you just own a state that happens to be football fanatics. Um, I don't know this to be like abs to be absolute fact, but we'll just we'll just say this is a uh, decently well sourced rumor, a concern, 
I think Alabama is about to announce a deal that will make Miami's deal as far as a, a deal with NIL split equally over the course of the roster. Uh, Alabama may have something in the works that would make Miami's look, look like, you know, uh, gift cards to TCBY or something like that. Now it doesn't, doesn't, does it shock you that Alabama would be flexible, nimble and immediately turn whatever possible situation they have to their advantage? No, I don't think it does. Uh, but it's, you know, I've, I've said for a couple months now, I think obviously you're going to have individual deals, but what the real interesting thing will be what a coach can sit in a recruits living room and tell him, you know, every scholarship player, we can, you know, more or less guarantee you this amount. Uh, I think Alabama is about to stake, uh, take a pretty big step in that direction. I mean, as you would expect, I think all the major recruiting schools are going to look at the Miami deal, which we should note is not and I think we did note at the time. I'm sure American Top Team, which is a legitimate brand, by the way, uh, and is like a major, major MMA gym. I'm sure they're getting some true marketing value out of that. Let's also just call a spade a spade. This is a way to get money to players because the current rules kind of prevent it because the schools invented the term student athlete a long time ago uh, to avoid paying workers comp to the spouse of a player who died on the field and also to prevent players from getting paid because back in the day, a lot of the bigger schools were starting to pay per, like pay kids and uh, a lot of the other schools didn't want them to do so. So they banded together and then the bigger schools realized, wait a second, we, we can make a lot more money if we just don't pay, don't pay them at all, at least above the table. Uh, so if you were only concerned about market size and the true marketability, then I think there could be some market concern. However, uh, if you'll kind of just indulge me here, Ingram, that there might be something in addition to just true marketability and market value as far as marketing value. I think the player's market value drastically exceeds their marketing value, if you, if that makes sense. Uh, and that is oftentimes independent of the size of the local market as far as your audience and reach. What matters more is the commitment of the school supporters who happen to be rich and want to see the school and its players do well. Uh, I also think that you, yes, Tallahassee is a much smaller market than Miami is, uh, but you're also competing. Florida State's still a more popular team than Miami is. FSU got their indoor facility built, you know, a, a lot, a lot nicer than Miami did with theirs. And it's a full indoor facility, not some, was there 50 yards or something like that? Part of that space, I know down there, land is cheaper up here, blah, 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 blah. But it's not like FSU hurts for, for donations compared to a school like Miami. So I don't think that is entirely market size based. And there's no pro sports teams in Tallahassee that you really have to compete against. Whereas in Miami, there are. And there's a million influencers down in Miami, by the way. Like that's literally where all the influencers go, that in LA. Uh, so you know, just some, some thoughts there. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a <clears throat> absolutely fascinating, uh, you know, fascinating process to watch play out. And a great question, Matt. We'll throw a, a shout out to Matt Thompson, our, our longtime sponsor and his team at uh, at uh, Madison Social and Township. Uh, I saw where they were having an event today at Township, uh, I believe, with a former uh, black alumni. And uh, yeah, I mean, awesome. they're just two great locations and uh, 
we're ever so fortunate to be able to partner with them. But when I talk to Matt, when I talk to other people that have an interest in possibly sponsoring kids, uh, Bud, this will come no surprise to you. The interest is is in kids that aren't on the roster right now. I mean, the the interest is guys with the last name of uh, Hunter, Duffy, McCall. I mean, that that's that's where I think if you see any kind of individual deals with a Florida state student athlete in a couple months or whenever it is that they can actually officially engage in that, that'll be the fun ones to watch. Uh, I don't think, you know, we'll be uh, doing a, a whole lot of time on this podcast devoted to individual deals, at least with this current roster, but it will be interesting to see how it shapes out. I do think, you know, Florida state has to address this and, and uh, try to, be in line with uh, those of schools that they can comp- uh, compete against. So it will be fascinating to see if they create, you know, some kind of uh, <clears throat> broader pool of which to draw upon and, and what ultimately they can kind of more or less guarantee kids. As, as you said, uh, the, you know, the four-star linebacker has a really high market value, doesn't necessarily have a high marketing value. Uh, and it will be fascinating to see kind of where those two lines uh, connect and, and what this looks like. But, uh, you know, like we've said previously, you know, something that's long since coming and uh, it's going to be a fascinating to see how it shapes the college football world because it is going to uh, to greatly impact it. And uh, we're all kind of uh, watching it play out in real time. So that's, that's pretty fun to watch. Indeed it will, man. Indeed it will. Uh, man, that's right about an hour. Um, we'll, we'll probably do one of these from ACC Media Day. I'll be up there. So we'll We'll reconvene at that time. All right, my man. Uh, As always, thank you to the listeners. If you have a chance to give us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you find us on, I know that it's greatly appreciated. Uh, Look forward to doing this sometime later on in the week. And uh, for now, that'll be the Nolcast.